0: Hello, good evening, welcome to our Tuesday night episode of Brett's Old Time Radio Show and it's mystery and adventure. I love a Tuesday because I love Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson and listening to their little adventures so it's really good one tonight and I'm sure you are going to love it. We went to Cartagena yesterday for the Christmas market and the Christmas lights. If you want to check out a few of the bits and pieces of what we saw then please do go and take a look at our social media, it's all called Brett's Old Time Radio Show We've got Instagram, we've got YouTube, and we've got Facebook. So do please go and take a look. Right, well, as I say, with it being a Tuesday, it's time for another adventure from Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. This one is called The Adventure of the Sally Martin. First broadcast on the 23rd of November, 1946.
1: (laughs) Cremel Hair Tonic and Cremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Now, once again, it's time to keep our weekly appointment with that incomparable host and storyteller, Dr. Watson sure he's expecting us. Of
2: course I am, Mr. Bell. So come in, draw up your usual chair, and make yourself comfortable. (sighs) Ah, That's it.
1: Thank you, Dr. Watson. What story are you planning to tell us tonight?
2: Quite an exciting one, I think. Uh, The only relic I have of it is this rather mildewed piece of paper.
1: I came across it just before you arrived, as I was going
2: over my notes on the case.
1: Look, this doesn't look very exciting. It's a hotel bill, and all it says is, board and lodging for one week, 28 shillings and sixpence. (laughs) Then as an extra item, one pint of ale not paid for, five pence.
2: And yet that extra pint of ale was ordered at the very moment when Sherlock Holmes and I entered into one of the weirdest experiences we ever had. I call it The Adventure
1: of the Sally Market. Before you begin the story, Dr. Watson, do you mind if I... uh... Have a word with our listeners? (laughs) Of course not, Mr. Bell. Men. If you want a successful, prosperous appearance, don't give your hair that cheap, greasy, plastered-down look. Many products advertise that they don't leave the hair looking or feeling greasy. But let's make this test. Run your hand over your hair. Does your hair feel greasy or sticky? Now look at your hand. Is there a greasy film on it? If there is, then you certainly are not using Cremel Hair Tonic. Because Cremel positively never leaves the hair looking or feeling greasy, sticky, or dirty. Cremel contains a very special hair-grooming ingredient found in no other hair tonic. It makes dry, unruly hair stay in place longer. Gives it such a nice, healthy-looking luster, too. When you use Cremel, you can run your hand over your hair and no grease comes off. Notice, too, how delightfully clean your hair feels. And just see if the ladies don't like that natural, well-groomed look which Cremel always gives. Try it, men. K-R-E-M-L. Cremel hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the adventure of the Sally Martin?
2: Well, the story began many years ago in the tiny fishing village of Kingsgate on the Kentish coast. At my insistence, Sherlock Holmes had agreed to take a much-needed holiday. and We were staying for a few days at a small seaside inn known as the Silver Dalton. The adventure began, I remember, on a foggy, bitterly cold evening. Holmes and I, after a hearty dinner was seated in the public bar of the inn talking to a garrulous old sailor. Little did we think that even in that peaceful village, dark tragedy was stalking us. Tragedy that very soon was to be brought to our attention. Here you are, Albert. Another pint. Thank you, Candy, sir. Ah. Yes, you're a very good old gentleman. What oh, an amazing capacity. That's the fifth. I can't think where he puts it. I see no mystery there, Watson. Go on with your story, Albert. You just reached the point where the shark had turned on you.
3: Well, gentlemen, I ups on the rail and dives into that raging sea. Pulls out me knife.
2: Oh, really? And... Where did you get the knife? I thought you said that you'd lost your clothes in the hurricane. Stripped to me middle, I was. But I always kept a bowie knife stuck in me belt. Oh, really? How uncomfortable. Well, I see the
3: white
4: belly of the shark turning at me. I let him have it. A rip here. A slash there. Ooh, there was blood all over the place. Never saw such a
2: mess. Uh, storytelling's very dry work, gentlemen. I'll order you another pint, Albert. Uh, thank you, can't be sir? Watson, look who's just come in. Oh, it's our old friend Sergeant Dobson, isn't it? Yes, and judging by his expression, the local representative of the law has serious business on his mind. Good evening, Sergeant. Good evening, Mr. Holmes. Evening, Dr. Watson. How are you, Dobson? <sighs> can I have a word with you, private-like? Of course you can. Oh, I beg pardon, sir, but, uh...
3: You did say something about buying me another pint.
2: Uh, don't worry, Albert. We'll have it sent over for you. Please give Albert another pint, Annie. Put it on my bill.
4: Right you are, Mr. Holmes.
2: Perhaps you wouldn't mind stepping into the private bar, gentlemen. Very well. Now, Sergeant, sit down and tell us what's on your mind. Murder, Mr. Holmes. Great Scott. Who? Where? Well, have you gentlemen noticed the fancy sailing boat that's been moored out in the cove this past week? Yes. I was informed that it was owned by George Byron, the Lancashire cotton manufacturer. Uh, That's correct, sir. The boat's named the Sally Martin. And right at this moment, Mr. Byron's lying there in his cabin with a knife in his ribs. Dead or in a boiled mackerel. Gracious me. I rode ashore to send a telegram to the police at Canterbury. But I left a constable to guard the people aboard. Good. I... I'm going back now to conduct my investigation, but the Canterbury police can't be here before morning, and I, I was hoping that... That we'd help you, Sergeant? Well, sir, a case like this is a little outside of my experience. Uh, just a minute, Dobson. Mr. Holmes is still a sick man. It's cold out and foggy. As his doctor, I forbid... Rubbish. To... Oh, so? How can I stay here in the inn while a murder lies mm-hmm. waiting to be solved less than a mile away? Come, Watson. The game's afoot. How much further is it, Sergeant? About a, about a quarter of a mile. Well, sir. If we don't get there soon, I won't answer for the consequences. I'm a rotten sailor. Cheer up, Watson. In the meanwhile, Sergeant, suppose you will give me as many facts as possible. How many people are aboard the Sally Martin? Well, there's three passengers, Mister Holmes, and and two in the crew. Well, let's have those passengers first. Well, there's there's Missus Byron, the dead man's wife. A lot younger than him she is, and and she looks a bit on the flighty side, if you ask me. Even though she was having a proper fit of hysterics like then there's there's Clarence Byron, the dead man's brother. And what opinion did you form as to his character? Well, sir, you understand I didn't talk to him much, but he acted cool as a cucumber, just just as if murder didn't mean a thing to him. And the third passenger? Well, he's a young fella by the name of Hodgson, secretary to the dead man. Very nicely spoken gentleman, he is. But it seemed to me as if Mrs. Byron had quite an eye for him, even, even through her tears. That's why I said she seemed flighty-like. You're very observant, Sergeant. Oh, it's it's just training, sir. How about the two crew members? Well, there's, there's Captain Small. He seemed perfectly above board. And a, a man by the name of Coggins. Arthur Coggins. He's a, he's a deckhand. And a mighty surly one at that. <laughs> he gave me quite a bit of back chat when I questioned him. Oh, sir. How much further is it? Barely a hundred yards, old chap. Oh, I feel awful. Do hurry up. Move over, Sergeant. Let me take an oar. There's the murdered man, Mr. Holmes. That's just how we found him. Very illuminating. Look at that murderous knife. It's buried to the hilt in his chest. Yes, but more interesting than the knife at the moment is the tableau presented in this cabin. What story does it tell you, Watson? Very simple story. Somebody opened the cabin door, came in, and stabbed him. Oh, come now. Surely our years together have made you a little more perceptive than that. Well, that's what are driving at? Well, for one thing, in his right hand is an open book. Oh, been reading? Yes, and the sergeant has told us that the oil lantern beside his bunk was still burning when the body was found. Well, that's right, Mr. Holmes. There's no sign of a struggle. Bedclothes are in, aren't even rumpled. No cry for help was heard. So let us reconstruct the scene. Mr. Byron was lying in his bunk, reading as you observed, Watson. The door opens. The murderer comes in, the knife hidden in his or her clothing. The victim has no suspicion of his fate because the murderer was someone who could enter his cabin at will. And suddenly, the fatal blow is struck. Then it must have been one of the three passengers. I think we may reasonably include the captain. The master of a schooner surely would have the ability to enter his employer's cabin without creating suspicion. Oh, you're right, Mr. Holmes. I think we've seen enough here, Sergeant. Where are the passengers? In their cabin, sir. I told them to wait there until they were sent for. The main saloon's empty. You could see them in there, nice and private-like. Splendid. Then let's go there, at once. Oh, there, 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 Mrs. Baron. My friend's only trying to help
3: you. Oh, how can he help me? He can't bring poor George back to life again, can he?
2: No, madam. <laughs> but at least I can try to find his murderer for you. He's right, <laughs> mum. So take it easy, like, and answer his questions.
3: Very well. Uh, what do you want to know, Mr. Holmes?
2: Can you suggest anyone who might have had the motive for murdering your husband? Oh, half
3: a dozen men. George made a lot of money. He was a hard businessman. He had many enemies.
2: But none of his business enemies had an opportunity of killing him tonight.
3: His biggest enemy, though I never could make him believe it, is on this very boat now. His brother, Clarence.
2: The biggest enemy, his own brother. Oh, come, come, it's come, true. madam.
3: It's true. Clarence sponged on him. That's done for years. And ever since I married George, he's tried to be more friendly to me than a brother-in-law should be. Mm-hmm. Just because I was once in the theater, he seems to think I didn't know how that laid it. Oh, you, you
2: in the theater? I wonder if you knew a girl who was Daly's pretty little thing. Name Watson, a... surely this is no time for your theatrical reminiscences. Oh, sorry, Mrs. Byron, are you familiar with the terms of your husband's will?
3: Everything he has comes to me. Oh, huh? Well, that's perfectly natural, isn't it?
2: Perfectly. But in that case, your brother in law would hardly seem to profit from your husband's death.
3: I don't know what you're suggesting, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Do you think I stabbed him? Well, it wouldn't there be the strength?
2: Mrs. Byron, I suggested nothing. But I'm interested to notice that you answer your questions as well as ask them.
3: Well, I'm not staying here to answer any more questions, Mr. Holmes. I'm going back to my cabin. If you want me, that's where you'll find me.
2: No, wait a minute, ma'am. Let her go, Sergeant. And please ask Mr. Hodgson, the secretary, to come in here. Just as you say, sir. Upon my soul. She's a fiery little thing, isn't she? (laughs) Just attractive, too. What do you make of her home? It's hard to say. If one wished to adduce motive, it would be easy. Well, she must be 25 years younger than her husband. And uh, the fortune coming to her is deaf, eh? Precisely. And despite her own statement, a woman would have the strength to stab an unsuspecting man to death. Here's Mr. Hodgson, sir. Thank you, Sergeant. Please sit down, Mr. Hodgson. Yes, Mr. Holmes. This is a shocking business. It is indeed, my boy. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Any questions you like. When did you last see your employer tonight? Mm, Shortly
5: after dinner, Mr. Holmes. He was taking a turn around the deck. We chatted for a few minutes, and then I went to my cabin and retired. It was about 9.30, a quarter to 10.
2: You heard no cry for help? No
5: shout in the night? No, none. The first I knew of the tragedy was when the captain awakened me.
2: Can you suggest who might have had a motive for his murder? Mr. Holmes, that's... that's a little hard to answer. Come now, Mr. Hodgson, don't hold anything back. You'll have to talk in a quarter, law, you know.
5: Yes, I suppose so. Well, gentlemen, in my capacity as secretary, I did know that my employer's brother, Clarence, has been borrowing heavily. Only yesterday morning I was compelled to draw my employer's attention to an irregularity in the monthly bank statement. A 500-pound check had been drawn... Mm. The signature was a forgery.
2: And you think that Clarence Byron committed that forgery? Yes, I do, sir. And so did my employer. The two brothers had a terrible row about it. Uh, Sergeant, will you be good enough to ask Mr. Clarence Byron to come here, please? Right you are, Mr. Rowe. One very personal question, Mr. Hodgson. Was the relationship between you and your employer's wife a purely social one? As a matter of fact, Mrs. Byron has been very kind to me. Oh, really? My
5: family are dead and she's taken an interest in me. But I give you my word that it's been purely platonic.
2: Mr. Holmes? Yes, Sergeant Dobson? <laughs> Mr. Clarence Byron's lying in his bunk, sir. He says he can't come here. He's got a heart attack. A heart attack? That's rather convenient, eh, Holmes? Yes, Watson. And it's also convenient that there's a doctor aboard. Let's go and see him, shall we? any better, Mr. Barron? Yes. Yes, I do, Doctor. That injection you gave me helped. It was Digitalis, I suppose. No, it wasn't. Holmes's heart's perfectly sound. He was simulating an attack. So I gathered, since an injection of plain water apparently gave him immediate relief. Plain water? Yes, your heartbeat was full and regular and your color normal. So I decided to try an experiment. And a very successful one. Why did you pretend to have a heart attack, Mr. Byron? I, I wasn't pretending. I do have a bad heart. That I don't doubt. Only a bad heart could prompt you to swindle your brother and then murder him. I didn't murder him. Though uh, I can tell you who did. Oh? You are very eager to shift suspicion, Mr. Byron. Who, in your opinion, murdered your brother? It's that deckhand, Arthur Coggins. Only a few days ago he threatened my brother's life. You heard him make the threat? Yes, I did. It was his second day aboard. It was early in the morning, and I was strolling on deck when I came on this man Coggins, who was standing by the mainmast, practising throwing a knife. <laughs> you're pretty handy with a knife, Coggins. What's that? I said you're pretty handy with a knife. Yes, I know how to use a knife. You uh, think you're going to like being on this ship now? Not if I don't get treated like a human being. Just yesterday, the owner yells out to me, "Here you, whatever your name is, treating me
3: like dirt, whatever your name is. Can't he find out my name? I'm as good as
4: he is. One of these dark nights, he'll get what's coming to him.
2: That's what he said, Mr. Holmes. And he looked as if he meant business. He's an expert with a knife, you say. Holmes, do you think it's possible that Coggins threw the knife through a porthole into the dead man's cabin? Yes, Watson, it's possible. Your story was interesting, Mr. Byron, though, of course, entirely uncorroborated. I think we'll go and talk to the captain and see if he can supplement your information. Holmes, I, I can't answer for the passengers. That's no business of mine. I appreciate that, Captain Small. But you'll answer for your crew, no doubt. That I will, sir. And this man Coggins is a no good if ever I saw one. Insubordinate, surly, always talking about how he's as good and better than those who employ him. And why did you engage him, Captain? I didn't, sir. That was arranged by my employer, Mr. George Barron. If I had my way, Coggins would have gone back ashore the first day he stepped aboard. Where Where is. Po- Great Scott! Is that a revolver shot? Oh, it sounded like it. it, and it came from the forecastle. Mr. Holmes! Mr. Holmes! This way, Sergeant! Good heavens! Why, it's Coggins! With a smoking revolver in his right hand. He's committed suicide. Yes. Very convincing, isn't it? His head is sprawled on a piece of foolscap. A confession note, no doubt. Yes, it is. Look at this. I killed him, and with my record, I knew you'd catch me, so I took the quick way out. Case is solved, Holmes. On the contrary, Watson, it's becoming more involved. If you look closely, you'll realize that we now have two murders to solve instead of one, and somewhere on this boat, a murderer is still at large and may strike a third time.
1: In just a moment, we'll find out if the murderer does strike a third time. But first, men, if you're bald, you might as well grin and bear it, because science tells us it's impossible to grow hair where the hair roots are dead. But you certainly can make the most of the hair you've got. And men, you can't beat Kreml hair tonic. To help you, Kreml contains very special hair grooming ingredients found in no other hair tonic. That's why Kreml keeps hair neatly in place longer and without that offensive, greasy look. But Kreml does lots more than keep hair looking handsome. Let me repeat. Kreml does lots more than keep hair looking handsome. A massage with Kreml helps stimulate circulation right in the surface of the scalp. Your scalp feels so alive, so invigorated. At the same time, it removes loose dandruff and has a fine, lubricating effect on a dry scalp. And for hair that's so dry that it cracks and falls, remember Kreml actually helps condition the hair in that it leaves it feeling so much softer and more pliable. Men, buy a bottle of Kreml at any drug counter. It's such a nice, clean product, you can use it every day so that your hair always looks its best. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml Hair Tonic. <laughs> So, Dr. Watson, the apparent suicide turned out to be another of the murderer's victims. Yes, Mr. Bell. Holmes at once sent Sergeant
2: Dobson to check the passengers while the three of us stood in that tiny cabin, an oil lamp swinging above us and shedding a strange glow on the macabre scene. I asked him why he was so positive that it wasn't suicide. You will notice, Watson, that the revolver is in Coggins' right hand. Yes, Holmes, I don't see what... Then ignore the right hand and observe the left. A deckhand is accustomed to hard manual labor. Notice the calluses on his left hand and the freedom from them on the right. By Jove, he was left-handed. Yes, he he was, Mr. Holmes. I've noticed him at work. Again, you'll observe the shot entered his head from behind the right ear. A remarkable feat of dexterity for a left-handed man. Then the murderer had the note ready, shot Coggins from behind, but made the mistake of placing the revolver in the wrong hand. Precisely. But this note, obviously in disguised writing, poses another problem. What does the phrase, and with my record, I knew you'd catch me, mean? He must have had a police record. But why volunteer the information? I wonder if the murderer had a reason. Captain, you said that Coggins was engaged by Mr. George Byron. Well, sir, he told me about the new man, but I don't know that he interviewed him personally. Where was he engaged? At the Seaman's Hostel uh, here in the village. What are you getting at home? Surely it's obvious, Watson. If this man Coggins had a police record, his murderer might have deliberately placed him on this boat knowing he would be suspected. Yes, yes, it's possible. But the question is, who engaged him? Well, Sergeant? All three of them in their cabins, Mr. Holmes, and swore they unlapped them. And yet we know that one of them must have slipped down here and shot Coggins. Lock them in their cabins, Sergeant. Keep good watch on them. Dr. Watson and I are going ashore. Ashore? Why, Holmes, when the is here on this boat? Because I'm convinced that the clue to his identity lies waiting for us at the Seamans Hostel. Where is the place, Sergeant, and who runs it? Old oh, Jenkins. It's the house just next to the Red Lion on the quayside. Splendid. Watson, we're taking this note and rowing ashore. Another trip in that filthy rowing boat? Must we, Holmes? <laughs>
4: It's a fine time of night to ruddle a rude respectable woman out of a warm bed, I must say, and no mistake. But
2: Mrs. Jenkins... Call a... me
4: Ma. Everyone calls me Ma.
2: Very well. We've come to you because you're the one person who can help solve two murders that took place on the Sally Martin tonight.
4: Murder? Come into me parlor. I'll light the lamp. There. Now, what's this you say happened aboard the Sally Martin?
2: Fiona, Mr. Barron, was stabbed to death about 10 o'clock tonight. Later on, a seaman by the name of Arthur Coggins was killed, too.
4: Arthur was killed?
2: You knew this man, Arthur Coggins? Of
4: course I did. Over a year he's been staying with me. He couldn't get a ship because of his record.
2: What record was that?
4: He brought his ship's papers to me. They all do when they're out of a berth. The last ship he was on two years ago, it was. He got mixed up in a knife fight. Oh, did he? Alaska was killed and Arthur arrested. They couldn't prove he was guilty, but he hasn't had a berth since because it was written in his papers. Oh,
2: that fits into your theory, Holmes. The murderer engaged him deliberately, knowing his record. Exactly. Mrs. Uh, Ma. That's me. Do you recall the name of the man who interviewed Coggins? No. The man who engaged him for the Sally Martin?
4: Uh-uh. No. But, but it's here in my book. It's the last entry I made. Uh, here it is.
2: Clarence Byron. The brother. There's our man, Holmes. Could you describe the appearance of Mr. Byron Ma?
4: No, I, I can't say I remember much about him. He was all muffled up. He was a nice-spoken gentleman, though.
2: You can recall no clue to his identity? It's... uh Worth a sovereign to you, if you can.
4: A sovereign? Well, let me think Ah, y- Yes, there's one thing I do remember. He had a gold signet ring on his right hand.
2: Splendid, Ma. Watson, the case is solved. Of course it is. Clarence is the man. May I congratulate you on your powers of observation, Watson? Ma, here are two sovereigns for you.
4: Two? But the said... extra
2: one is for the privilege uh, of borrowing this uh, register book of yours for a few uh, hours. Uh, no. I'm taking it back to the Sally Martin with us so that we may compare the handwriting in it with that of a murderer. Mm-hmm.
3: But this is ridiculous, Mr. Holmes Why should you ask Clarence to sign his name?
2: Bear with me a few moments longer, Mrs. Byron And you'll see why blessed if I know what you're up to, Mr. Holmes I'm I'm a little patient, Sergeant, and you'll see too Have you any objection to signing your name, Mr. Byron? I uh, suppose not Though I'm just as confused as the rest of them There Thank you And now, Mr. Hodgson I wonder if you'd mind helping us Of course not, Mr. Holmes What can I do? You saw a forged check. I wonder if you'd try and imitate the signature that Mr. Clarence Byron has just written.
5: Mr. Byron's signature?
2: Yes, his writing is extremely individual, but I think you could help prove that under certain circumstances it can be elastic. See how nearly you can imitate it. I think it'll help us to prove that he murdered his brother.
3: Clarence, you did murder George. I knew it. Beagle,
2: you're out of your mind. Will you copy his signature, Mr. Hudson? Of course, if you think it'll help you. Holmes, Holmes, look. look. Shudson. Sign, please, Mr. Hodgson. Clarence Byron. There. Thank you. That's a remarkably fine gold signature ring you're wearing, Mr. Hodgson. Thank you. Watson, give me Mar Jenkins' register book. Uh, you are, Holmes. Sergeant, I want you to compare the signature in this book with that which Mr. Hodgson has just given us. I think you'll agree that they're both written by the same man. They are. Well, blow me down. So he forged Clarence's signature. Exactly. He is quite a specialist in handwriting.
3: Albert, you didn't kill him. You couldn't have done it.
5: It's
2: no good, Mabel, and you know it as well as I do. You knew what I was up to. You helped me. (gasps) You suggested that I use Clarence's name.
3: That's a lie. A lie lie or not, Sergeant,
2: I suggest you take out your your notebook. They're talking in front of witnesses, so make the most of the fact. (laughs) Sun's coming up, Watson. Oh, yes, should so the, the sea's calmer, hang on. A very satisfactory start to a new day. The confessed murderer and his accomplice both had been safely in the care of the police. Yes, I was convinced until we found him murdered that Coggins, the, the deckhand, was the guilty party. Exactly what you were meant to think. I thought that uh, as he was an expert knife thrower, he could have thrown one through a porthole into a dead man's cabin. No, Watson. Both portholes were at the head of the bunk. But the knife wound was from the underside of the heart and upwards. It would have been impossible to have thrown the knife through a porthole at such an yes, angle. Yes, as I can see it all now, young Hodgson, coveting his employer's wife, planned a knife murder and then engaged Coggins, knowing that with his record, he'd be the logical suspect. Yes, but like so many murderers, he tried to be too clever. He left enough clues to hang himself half a dozen times well, Why did over? Clarence pretend to have that heart attack? The nervousness of a person who knows himself to be under suspicion... A futile attempt to escape interrogation. Oh, I'm glad it's all over. I'm exhausted and I'm frozen. And I'm delighted to think that this is my last trip in this horrible rowing boat. Whereas I'm feeling very stimulated. And in a distinctly altruistic mood. Altruistic? What do you mean, Holmes? If you'll observe the flurry of excitement at the quayside, the figures in blue surge that are at this moment embarking in boats you'll realize that the police from Canterbury have just arrived. I still don't see how altruism comes into the picture. I intend to claim no credit in the solution of this crime. And in consequence, I see little reason why our old friend Sergeant Dobson should not very soon be known as Inspector Dobson.
1: In just a moment, Dr. Watson will tell us something about next week's story. But first, girls, if you want to really make a hit with a boyfriend, here's a beauty tip right out from here in Hollywood. And one which lovely Powers models were among the first to discover.
3: Give your hair a ten-minute glamour bath with cremel shampoo. This amazingly beautifying shampoo has been especially developed so that it actually brings out all the brilliant natural luster of each tiny strand of hair. Cremel Shampoo leaves the hair fairly teeming with highlights.
1: And don't forget, Cremel Shampoo is wonderful for the entire family.
3: Yes, even in the hardest water, it whips up gobs of rich, luxurious foam, which penetrates right to the scalp and removes all loose dandruff as well as the dirt.
1: So, ladies, buy the large family size of Cremel Shampoo. K-R-E-M-L. Cremel Shampoo, the largest
0: selling shampoo
1: with an oil base.
0: Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed our latest adventure with Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. And don't forget, tomorrow, it's the turn of Rocky Jordan with an episode called The Man from Damascus. First broadcast on the 20th of August, 1950. And we do love a little bit of Rocky Jordan. We're kind of getting close to the end of that series, though. So we might be moving on to something else soon. Look, have a great evening. And don't forget, I'm here seven days a week, each and every week. And I'll see you tomorrow on Brett's Old Time Radio Show. Love you. Bye.